This time on episode 474 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we discuss the 2023 film Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and weekly Marvel news, including Captain America 4 getting a bit of a name change, some first looks at Secret Invasion, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. star who still hasn't heard anything about coming back, and the first Marvel series removed from Disney+. Plus. I'm Anthony Bachman from All Things Good and Nerdy, a geeky podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Crest. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We tell stories about the screenplays by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, June 10th, 2023, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Spider-Verse wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. If you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because we didn't want to join a band, so we started our own. If you'd like to talk to us about joining up your band, you can find us over at LegendsofShield.com. If you play an instrument and want to join the band because I got brass covered, but everything else, not so much, send us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. If you want to join our band, hit us up on Facebook at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Podcast. If you've got a ska song that you want SP to come play on, you can find us on Twitter at Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. because Twitter's probably going to die soon. So just like ska, it'll be in the past. If you want to send us your auditions of playing drums because we need a percussionist, send it to us via our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash geek. If you would like to yell at Chris about how Scott is having a revival right now, you can yell at him on Discord at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And don't forget that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network, where nobody loves Gwen nearly as much as me. We are missing one of our agents, Agent Michelle, a.k.a. Dribbles, is not available to be with us today, but she really wanted to be here, and she has full carte blanche to talk about this the next time she returns with us, which will probably be when we talk about Secret Invasion. More about that later in the podcast. In the meantime... Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. You've been saying it wrong, by the way, Chris. It's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Whatever. The next one's beyond the Spider-Verse. I'm just making it easier to say. I saw people who were like, oh, I'm so mad they only gave us half a movie. And it's like, yeah, they've been telling us it's, you know, the first half for a while now. For I'm a sorry while. you weren't paying attention. Well, we got a lot to talk about. You guys ready? Very. Mm-hmm. Like you don't even know. I can imagine.
Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse premiered on June 2nd, 2023. That is eight days ago as we were recording this. The IMDb description, Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. Lauren, who directed this anime? Okay, I am so happy to actually talk about this. The director is Joaquim Dos Santos, who you've probably heard of. He has 12 directing credits, including the upcoming Beyond the Spider-Verse. But he's worked on things like Avatar The Last Airbender, where he did some of my favorite episodes, including the Sozin's Comet ending of of season three he did the beach episode which was fun he is also directed for voltron legendary defender avatar legend of korra which y'all just watch the avatar and avatar last airbender and avatar legend of korra they're so good he's also worked as a storyboard artist on a bunch of stuff including tron uprising invincible Hulk versus Spectacular Spider-Man. He worked on the animation department for a bunch of those shows, including one that is near and dear to my heart. He was uncredited as the working on the main title layout of Legend of Vox Machina. He's just a legend in recent animation. So I'm very, very happy to see him getting this movie, which is amazing. And Chris, we have several writers for the project. Yeah, we have Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who have worked on a bunch of stuff together. Both of them worked on Clone High, the first and second Lego movies, the first and second Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, of course, Into the Spider-Verse, and both of them writing a few episodes for How I Met Your Mother, Phil Lord writing 17 and Christopher Miller writing two. But we also had Dave Callahan, who... You've probably seen some stuff from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the 2021 Mortal Kombat, Wonder Woman 1984, and all three Expendables films. So there's actually two other directors along with Joaquim Dos Santos. The first one is Kemp Powers, who is mostly a writer known for Soul and One Night in Miami and... uh I believe this is, okay, he was the co-director of Soul, and uh, so this is his second directing project. And then there's also Justin K. Thompson, who is a newcomer, and this is his first directing credit, the second being Beyond the Spider-Verse, which is upcoming, but he's also been in the art department for things like Samurai Jack, Powerpuff Girls. So this is this is a team that knows their animation. In addition for the team behind the camera or behind the computer in this case, we have a bunch of people behind the microphone that brought these characters to life. Lauren, let's see who you want to talk about here. Oh, I have so many, but I would like to start with Shamik Moore, who plays Miles. He's also been in Dope and The Get Down and played Rick Wan on Wu-Tang, an American, an American saga. 
So if you listen to Wu-Tang Clan, you know, back in the 90s, check that out. He was also obviously Miles in the first movie. His performance there was good. His performance here, I think, was better. All right, Chris, you had several people that you wanted to talk about. Obviously, we have to start with me and Haley Steinfeld playing Gwen in this movie. I mean, we've seen her live action in Hawkeye as Kate Bishop, but I think just the voice acting here really encompasses how I see Gwen as a character. And I can't imagine anybody else doing this role at all. And I mean, I know when they bring Gwen into live action stuff, they're going to have to get somebody else, but that's going to be really weird. They don't necessarily have to get somebody else. This is the multiverse. You can have the same actor playing multiple different characters. Which is something that I want to talk about. (laughs) How are we going to get super awesome Gwen Stacy and Kate Bishop team-ups then? I would like to point out that Dove Cameron voiced Spider-Gwen on Marvel Rising. We might remember Dove Cameron from her short stint as a villain on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And she was also voiced in spectacular spider-man by i'm forgetting but i can look it up okay well the point is is that you can do multiple camera angles and they have people playing evil and and good all the time you just don't want to do it a lot and i'm guessing that chris you're thinking every scene needs to be both of them yes pretty much okay Lacey chabert voiced her in spectacular Uh, spider-man Lacey Chabert. There is a name. I didn't. Yeah, she has done a lot of. Oh, no. She's been doing since like Family Guy. She was the second. No, she was the first Meg. Right. Well, Lauren, we have a first in Marvel history. The first person to play three different characters. Actually, we have several people play. Okay, so. Let me just dip in here real quick and name the people in here who have played multiple Marvel characters. So obviously we have Oscar Isaac, who is playing Miguel O'Hara and is, you know, was also Moon Knight, who is also Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse, which I don't blame you if you forgot about it. That movie wasn't great. Karen Sony, who played Pavita Prabhkar, was also Dopinder. In Deadpool, Mahershala Ali was not only Uncle Aaron, he was Cottonmouth in Luke Cage and is going to be Blade in the upcoming Blade whenever that comes out. So there's a few. Right. The reason I say Oscar Isaac is the first, because even though you have Blade, it's not out yet. Matter of fact, the production is halted because of the writer strike right now. So Oscar gets the first. He's the first with all of the three projects that are out. I was so happy to, first of all, I was so happy when he made his little cameo at the end of Into the Spider-Verse. And here, I think he brings just a lot of nuance to the role. It's always kind of tricky when you get screen actors to be voice actors, because sometimes that those skills don't translate. We've talked about that before. But he did so well with the serious parts and the angry parts and even the unintentionally funny parts. I'm just so happy. I love Oscar Isaac so much. 
I could have seen different people in the role, but bringing him into the role brought a certain personality to Miguel on the screen. So yeah, I'll, I'll say that Mm -hmm. that's for sure. I want to talk about two people right off the bat, actually three people right off the bat. J.K. Simmons, no matter what universe you were in, you always had J.K. Simmons announcing you heard his voice, whether it was in his office in the Daily Bugle, whether it was on TV, radio or podcast or whatever. J.K. Simmons is perennially the J. Joman Jameson. And I'm glad that everybody has agreed to that. And it's just going to be J.K. Simmons until he can no longer do the role. He's iconic. It's just... It's like, yeah, we had Ed Asner as him in the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s, and Ed Asner was really good as him. But J.K. Simmons just brings something. He brings the essence, the excitement, the the blowhard attitude. It's just Oscar winner J.K. Simmons is J. Jonah Jameson, and it makes me so happy. He's pretty good. Ed Asner, by the way, passed away in 2021, and you can see him in one of his last roles in Cobra Kai over on Netflix. We also had Elizabeth Perkins coming in as May and the quippy spider person. I love Elizabeth Perkins. She has fun in whatever role. She fully embraces the character and just runs with it. So my hat's off to Elizabeth Perkins and our very own wit. Wiccan, whatever you want to call her, that's going to have her own series coming on pretty soon. Catherine Hahn voicing Doc Ock. So those were just some iconic names. In Can I film. run down a couple of the other performances? Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not going to spend as much time on them because there's so many. The voice acting in this was amazing. Brian Tyree Henry as Jeff, so good. Luna Lauren Vellis as Rio just brought a lot of heart to the role. Jake Johnson, you know, returning as Peter B. Parker. Jason Schwartzman as the spot. When I was watching, I'm like, this voice sounds so familiar. I think it's Jason Schwartzman. And at the end, yes, it is. Issa Rae as Jessica Drew. Just so good. Daniel Kaluuya stole the show for me as Hobie Brown, Spider-Punk. Just every line, perfection. Shay Wiggum was another one where I'm like, I know this voice. I know this voice. I used to love watching Boardwalk Empire. So him as George Stacy was great. Again, Mahershala Ali showing up again as Uncle Aaron. Amanda Steinberg showing up as Spider-Bite. I'm so happy to see. I was so happy to see them switching sides at the end. By the way, we're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Jack Quaid showing up as Gwen Stacy's Peter Parker. Somebody pointed out that All of the versions of Peter Parker that we have shown have been played by Jewish actors, which is great because they finally confirmed that after, you know, years of just hinting, they finally confirmed, yes, Peter Parker is Jewish. Andy Samberg as Ben Riley, bringing so much humor to that. Just very, you know, the very 90s, grim, dark. Oh, I'm so brooding. I loved that. Ziggy Marley showed up as Lenny, the guy at the bodega. We had Donald Glover showing up physically as Aaron Davis because, hey, that's who he was in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies as an homage to the whole Ma Morales thing starting because of him in a, in a Spider-Man costume. And I want to do a special shout out towards the voice actress for Sun Spider. The whole Ben Riley thing was pretty 
hilarious with Andy Sandberg coming in. If you don't know Ben's background, it might the nuances might have Clone been lost saga. on you. Yeah. Okay, Daniel Perez showed up as Sun Spider, who is the spider person with the wheelchair and the forearm crutches. It was very, very important to me because Sun Spider has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I also have and was created and written by a black woman with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and is voiced by a black woman who is a wheelchair user. And disability rep is super, super important. Any, any rep is super important, but disability is one that often gets overlooked because, oh, let's just throw this you know, able-bodied person in a chair and call it a day. It just, it meant a lot to us in the disabled community, even to just have that small, you know, like three-line segment. I just, everything about this movie has made me so happy. Chris, did we cover everybody you wanted to cover? I think we did. Like, everybody in here, there's not a bad performance in this movie at all. You can go on saying that the first movie, I know people have been saying for years, the first one is possibly the best comic book movie ever made. And that's not true anymore. And the voice actors are a large reason why. We'll get into that in a minute. But now that we're more than 15 minutes in, let's talk about our first thoughts about the movie. Chris, why don't you start? We're following some of the comics so well. And I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and say, you have to 100% follow the source material the entire time to make a good or a successful movie. But I think it's really cool when you can do that and still introduce twists and still do things differently and have everything make sense. And I mean, this is just hitting the nail on the head so many times and so hard. It's ridiculous. Perfection. This movie just on every level for me, the voice acting, the writing was just wonderful. The art direction. They managed to merge so many art styles and they did it beautifully. And just it all, it was firing on all cylinders for me. I want to see it again like a billion more times. Just, uh, I'm so excited for this and I'm so excited for the next one. For me, it was a story filled of world building and multiverses, which plays right into my cards. The only thing missing really was time travel. On the other hand, it had animation that was difficult for a 50-something to follow. I know we're going to disagree on that as we go forward, but I had a real heartburn as I was watching this, trying to discern what was going on, and maybe that's just because of my age. The storyline is definitely targeted to a younger crowd, so maybe the animation doesn't matter. But yeah, it was difficult for me to follow. All right, we're going to get into that and everything, but we're going to start by talking. Who do you guys think was the main character? I know Chris has an idea. This is a Gwen movie, one billion percent. Like, I don't care. You can market it with Miles. You, you kind of have to a little bit carrying over from the first one, but get all of the Miles crap out of my Gwen movie. This is a Gwen movie. Excuse you, Miles. I think they were pretty much equally deuteragonists in this movie. Ooh. We have, you can't have one story without the other. 
we have Gwen with her, you know, whole story about being rejected by her her dad and trying to find this new family and trying to find her place and her purpose. But a lot of that is also inspired by Miles. We have Miles whose interactions with his family have been colored by his experiences with Gwen. And we have both of them as like spider people that really weren't supposed to be. It is very much a Gwen story, but it is just as much Miles's story. And it is their story together and about how, how they have affected each other and how they're continuing to affect each other. And I'm going to talk a lot more about Gwen's bit in a bit. And most importantly, though, their story together without a giant shoehorn. Let's make a romantic thing out of this, both because you don't need that in this kind of movie to make a successful movie. And because I just don't want to hear about it from the comics when it was a 15 year old and a 20 year old. And let's keep that out of there, too. So here they're they're both in high school. They're both the same age. We do have them with this. You know, they have a crush, but more Mm -hmm. than that, they have a connection. And that part's fine. I just, I don't like it when they shoehorn, oh, we have to have a romantic relationship. It's like, okay, whatever. They're friends. It's fine. Oh, I ship them. I ship them hard. For me, the main character was the spider from Universe 42. That was the main character in the whole thing. It was all about the spider from Spider-Verse number 42. Kind of making a joke right now. I agree with Lauren. I think both of them were at the forefront. I think you might even say Miguel is in there as well as a third, even protagonist, because he's doing what he thinks is right to keep it all together. Yeah, it's, oh God, I have so much to say about the whole thing about the protecting the canon and how these characters relate to each other and how it relates to the fans outside of the movie. Yeah, I took a direct analogy of the let's keep the canon together to the actual canon of like Marvel out there. And it was like, okay, so what is canon? And I think in the end, it's not going to matter, but we'll see. We'll see with the next one. This was half a movie. It wasn't the whole thing. We get to see Beyond the Spider-Verse eventually after the the writer's strike, director's strike and all that. So I think that. I want to say that the recording is probably done. It's just a matter of the animation team. I know they finished pre-production or they finished production on this 13 days before it was released. So I'm pretty sure that because of all, you know, the beautiful, beautiful animation, that's probably what's going to be taking the longest. Beautiful. Okay. The animation was definitely very vibrant and very in style. It was just difficult for somebody. I was, I actually went back after I saw the second one to watch the first one. The first one had, while it was not just standard animation, it was a lot more static because you could actually follow everything going on with this one. You, you couldn't, you simply couldn't. The fight scenes were worse than a transformers movie. Uh, disagree. Uh, well, that, that's, where we're at, I completely disagree with being able to follow it because I couldn't, and I was trying to. I was paying attention on the screen, and I just couldn't. There was, it was, it was very comic booky. I'll give you that, and it was very in the styles of everything, but it was not anything that you could follow from point A to point B, at least not for an older mind. So, like I said, 
I think Lauren and I have a big advantage here in that we watch anime, and that is a large part of, I think, the inspiration for the animation of this movie. I also kind of wonder how you felt about the animation on Spider-Punk. Is that Hobie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, I did take a second there. It was definitely... It was like he was glitching the whole time, basically. In my, it was totally my on eye. purpose. It was a four-on-the-floor animation. on rock all day long. I had a lot to say about how each of these is kind of inspired by the cover art of their respective comics. With Gwen, on her own series, it's a lot of watercolor. It's a lot of very bright, very impressionistic backgrounds. And that's a lot of what we got with her in her world, where the colors are such a huge part of it. And with Hobie, it's done in the style of like mid-90s punk zines. So there's, you know, that very magazine cutout, sketchy, inconsistent because he's against, incons- he's against consistency. I just, I loved it. We got the Leonardo da Vinci journal style for the vulture that showed up in the Guggenheim. We had Ben Riley having the very hard backgrounds of comics from the 90s we had miguel having this very cyberpunk aesthetic okay one that i really 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 want to talk about is the brief foray into the lego spider-man universe that was actually done by a 14 year old who taught himself the kid's name is uh, preston mutanga he had recreated the trailer for the first spider-man movie with legos or for across the spider-verse with legos so the film's team was like hey this is really good do you want to do this part he's like uh sure and i'm so proud of this kid it definitely took me into the mindset of the lego movies that have been out the comic book lego movies that have been out it was like it was part of that universe and part of this universe simultaneously so i did understand that and i understand all of the art in the form that they appear in the comics i'm just telling you guys i had a hard time watching it and maybe it is because i'm older and my brain is not working as fast as it once did it's not making as many connections but i need a little bit more fluency in my movies in order to be able to follow it and this definitely was not just like i can't watch stuff that's too dark either it's like I can't see what's on the screen. It's the same sort of thing in my mind, in my mind. And it's a work of art. I'll give you that, but I just couldn't follow it as a film. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. And I thought you would. I just had some issues with it. Bouncing off of that. And because it is pride month, I am waving at my progress pride flag in the background. There is a lot to be said about Gwen in this movie. She's been accepted as a trans icon online. First of all, there's just the fact of her stories. She came out to her dad and her dad, you know, rejected her. But more than that, the color scheme in every scene where she's in her world, in the background, it's all the blue, the pink, the white. It's very deliberately trans colors. She has a protect trans kids flag on her wall. There's a scene where Captain Stacy is wearing, I think, like a trans 
flag on his uniform and people keep pointing out, um, what New York cop is going to wear that unless, you know, they have a personal connection with this. Even if she is not ever confirmed as trans, the fact remains that they chose to tell a very specific story with her character with regards to not feeling like she has a place as the person that they thought she was. That being rejected by her father, going, if you know, making this found family. And that is a sad fact of reality for a good chunk of trans kids. Something like, oh, I forget what the percentage of homeless teens is queer and specifically trans and gender nonconforming, but it is a very, very large percentage. And the fact that they gave us this extremely relatable character who they made a point of showing the trans colors, the scene where she's confronting her dad towards the end of the movie. She's basically talking in front of the trans flag and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And a lot of us who grew up without seeing a visible example of ourselves latched onto what ended up being like the next best thing in media, like X-Men again, queer analog you know, also an analog for racism, any sort of marginalization, really. But every representation is a tiny step forward. And I'm really thankful for the animators and the writers for choosing to use that very deliberate palette with her. Yeah, the way that this is put together, I feel almost weird saying this being a cis-straight male, but... Part of what I really love about comics is that you can find a character and make them what you need them to be for you. So to me, the fact that Gwen is out here at worst being a major ally is a huge step in this. I mean, it's the colors everywhere. It's the flag that I've got on my background here. If you're watching the video, it's everything that she's going on doing and even if you can't get a one-to-one analogy going you can get a lot of she had to deal with the same kind of things you're looking at a character who in her creation and everything was just i have this thing that i'm doing and then the entire world has decided to hate me because I'm Ghost Spider, Spider Gwen, whatever name you want to use. Hiding who she was from her dad for so long, having her dad, after he finds out, help to hide that from the rest of the world for so long. Because even if he accepts it, he knows that the rest of the world is not necessarily going to. And then more so in the comics after she gets out of prison, which is a story we can tell a whole different time, having a lot of people see her as this is what you were in the past. And we're never going to forget that. We're never going to let you forget that we know that. 
and we're going to treat you like crap because of your past there. And I'd latch on to her for different reasons, but it makes perfect sense to me that you would have trans people latching on to her because it is a very similar story. I have yet to see any official acknowledgement from Sony or Marvel on the characterization of Gwen in this movie. Regardless, I applaud the fact that they are at least broaching the conversation and bringing it forward. And regardless what happens here, it might be deliberate that they just put so much in there that might lead you to think this way, but they're not going to upset the fanboy. I don't know what to call it, but you know, the people that might be upset about it. So uh, transphobes. The word is transphobes. Okay. Transphobes that happen to be comic book fans as well. And I'm glad that they're having the conversation. So good on them. I don't think we're going to get an acknowledgement because of that, because they want the movie to make money on both sides of the fence. I mean, it's a monetary decision, really, unfortunately. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. I could swear that last week I had seen something from one of the animators saying that the coloring was a deliberate choice, and I can't find that now. But but also, with the amount of the coloring they have in here, there's no way it's not a deliberate choice. Right. It's a deliberate choice, but not necessarily stating the character is blank. Yeah. That's my point. Great on the deliberate coloring. Great on the it flag. It reminds and, me and of how... Mark Hamill has been very public about like, I'm not going to tell people that Luke isn't, you know, queer because if people relate to this character and they find something about this character that they relate to within themselves, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to take that away from people. Yep. And especially in a time like currently, it was, I will admit that it made me cry because it's a really... It's a really stressful time for the queer community, particularly the trans and gender non-conforming community. And seeing something that visibly, it means a lot. It does. So again, I applaud them for going down the path, at least this far at this point. I got a question for you guys, because as much as I've read Spider-Man, and admittedly I haven't read it all, but I do have a lot of Spider-Man books over the course of the last, I don't know, seven years or so. I had no idea who the spot was. So clue me in on this. Is this a new character specifically for this or has the spot been in lore before? Oh, the spot's been around since like, I'm looking it up right now. 1984. Okay. First appearance was in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 94 in June of 1984 as Dr. Jonathan Owen. And then in issue 98 was when he officially became the spot. So I think that might be something else that mainstream fans might not be able to immediately relate to the film on is because they might not who the know who the spot is. And by mainstream fans, I'm like on screen fans, not comic book fans, because I haven't really seen the spot in anything on screen. I do see comic panels of the spot floating around a lot, though, especially Peter trying to punch him 
and instead punching himself in the face because of how <laughs> the portals line up. So fun fact, in the comics, his origin story was he was trying to reproduce Cloak's powers yeah. from Cloak and Dagger. Okay. Did you guys like, you were saying the punching and, and going through the spot and everything that just got me to thinking the, the big, I'm pointing at you scene in, the, <laughs> in Miguel's Spider-Verse where you had all 280 uh, characters just pointing at each other in the iconic Spider-Man pose. That was That epic. was wonderful. Yes. So again, even the spot in this movie is a relatable character. He was a nobody who has been dismissed by Miles Morales as, oh, he's just another villain. He's not, when we first see him, he is failing at robbing a bodega. <laughs> he's really bad at it. Just leave me alone, man. It's not yours. It's the bank's. <laughs> yeah, and it's, the thing is, with his powers and with his background, yeah, he could have become a hero. But because of being rejected, it's the Grendel situation. He decided, okay, you're calling me a villain. I'm going to be a villain. It's just that he's not a very good one until he gets insulted and starts doing it kind of out of spite. He realizes, oh, these abilities are more than I thought they were. And I'm going to use it to be the best villain ever, which I mean, props for the self-drive. But perhaps another direction could have been chosen in his life. Right. So there is personal choice, but what's the difference between the spot stealing from an ATM machine and the Hulk stealing clothes from somewhere when he resizes down to Bruce Banner and is naked, basically? What's the difference? There really is no. You have to be more specific about where Hulk is stealing the clothes from, though. If he's stealing from the store, even that's not enough because stealing from the mom and pop store down the street. Yes, that's bad. Don't do that. Stealing from evil corporation Walmart, yeah, take the clothes, Hulk. I don't care because I don't. Yeah. If you don't want to run around naked, don't run around naked. It's still stealing. It doesn't matter who you're stealing from. You're stealing. Mm, I would say it does matter who you're stealing from, and it matters the degree of it. Like Chris was saying, via the law, stealing from it's a the mom same. and pop store. Um, it is being the law isn't being legal doesn't make it right. Exa exactly, being illegal doesn't make it not well. Being, yeah, being legal doesn't make it right. So, again, it's you try and rob a mom and pop store, then obviously this is a problem. This is you are taking from very close to the source. The further away from the source, it could be argued the less harm you're doing. When you go to a Walmart and you steal a shirt, you're getting something that was mass produced for pennies and from people who were probably exploited. In its creation, as opposed to like a small vendor, somebody who a small vendor is still going to have the same goods. It's the goods are the same. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's are. also the idea of if you're at the grocery store and you see someone stealing food, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. The, it's the Jean Valjean thing. Is it legal to steal a loaf of bread? Maybe not. Was it ethical? To feed his sister's starving family. Absolutely. I'm definitely not going to make somebody go hungry. So don't. Yeah, that's my line, I guess. My personal line. But I will tell you, my grocery stores here just all, all instituted anti-theft 
so that it makes it very difficult for you to go out of the grocery store. I personally have nothing to do with other than I shop there, but eat it in the grocery store then. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Just remember what our wonderful friend Sonic taught us, and there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. I'll have to think about that one before I respond. (laughs) So we did see two, it was confirmed by one of the animators, I think, uh, that there were 280 spider people in this movie, but there were only about 95 named characters in the movie. That doesn't mean that there weren't more named characters in the movie, but they were deliberately like 95 characters spoke or you knew who they were by, hey, you're so-and-so or whatever. So that is a lot. This is a huge movie when it comes down to... I want to say it might be the most named characters in an animated movie. I know for sure the movie is the longest animated movie. It beat the previous one whose name I can't remember by four minutes in terms of runtime. Into the Spider-Verse. No, it was um, a movie from like 2016. Okay. Well, and this is not even including like the ancillary characters. This is specifically the spider people, like the superheroes or cars or things or whatever that are spider, right? So yeah, that was that was pretty the Tyrannosaurus big. Rexes. <laughs> uh, did anybody else think uh, Dino or you know from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Did everybody <laughs> think Devil? Actually, I was, I mean, yes, obviously, but I was thinking of, uh, there was a recent DC, like little mini series yes. where all the superheroes were dinosaurs. Yes. It, it reminded me of that. I got the first few issues of that before I dropped the title, but yes. Yeah, I, Jurassic yeah. League. I thought it was fun. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So I would like to talk a bit about Miguel. Go ahead. Okay. So... Miguel O'Hara in the comics was always kind of an intense character. And here we see somebody who, because of their experience, has become absolutely rigid about protecting the canon because he saw what it did to him. He saw this version, you know, this other version of his life where he had a wife and a kid and it was just a wonderful life and after that particular him was killed he was like i can have this so he stepped in except uh, unfortunately he could not and his daughter basically dissolved in his arms as the universe crumbled so you have this this hero who has seen the consequences of his actions and blames himself for the death of an entire universe. So yeah, he's going to be, you know, a bit no fun and a bit rigid about all of this because he doesn't want that to happen to anyone else. It's, it's, it's the Uncle Ben thing writ large. Spider-Man became Spider-Man because he didn't want anybody else to lose their Uncle Ben. So here we have him basically appointing himself the dad of the universe. Unfortunately, this means inflexible thinking means that when a nuanced situation comes around, you don't know how to respond to it. And here, with Miles as this anomaly, because, yeah, they already had a spider person in his universe. There was never supposed to be another one. And not only is Miles 
you know, has he been bitten by the spider from a universe that now does not have a spider person, but the Spider-Man of this universe died protecting him, died saving him. So that's a bit of a trigger for Miguel already. And in real life, there is no black and white. There's very few shades of black and white. There's mostly shades of gray. Because again, like we were just talking to about with regards to shoplifting. Yes, shoplifting is technically illegal. However, there are circumstances when it is the lesser evil and therefore the correct thing to do, the moral thing to do. Unjust laws are always on the books. Look at Florida right now. Please no, they're bad. I, mm. I'm waiting for the correction because it's going to be a correction at some point in time. In Florida or in in the movie? In Florida, yeah. Okay, yeah. I. In the meantime, a lot of people are going to be hurt. A lot of people are already being hurt, and that's kind of the case in the Spider Verse too. You know, we're seeing, we almost saw, Pavita's universe dissolve because miles was like no i can i can help i can help save this person so you can help save these other people and miles is like okay you may accept fate as this you know this very linear thing but it doesn't have to be and i'm going to prove it which you know there's there's a lot of meta commentary there about miguel as the very rigid very traditional fans who were not happy to see Miles Morales show up when he first showed up in Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, he, oh, this kid is not supposed to be Spider-Man, but Peter Parker died for this. But Miles is still here, and he's more popular than ever. And just because a thing has always been done a certain way doesn't mean that's how it always needs to be. And do you know part of why Miles is still here? The importance of representation. Yep. Well, also because it's a character that resonates with enough people that are willing to throw money at it. Like, if there, there was nobody buying the books, then they wouldn't continue the character. Or at least they wouldn't cont- uh, continue the books. It's such a weird feeling to f- realize, oh... I am being pandered to because they have decided that my money is worth something now. Like right now, again, pride, everything rainbow. On the one hand, yes, it's very, ugh, these, you know, corporate cap, uh, corporate rainbow washing. But on the other hand, that means visibility. That means being recognized that you are a viable market. That means people accepting that you existing is a fact of life and that having more representation means good things for them too. It was in my lifetime where we had the, the first interracial kiss. We had the first same sex kiss on TV. Right. And now in 2023, you're like, eh, okay, well it's, you know, it's almost normal, but in my lifetime that has changed. So as yeah. you normalize, as you say, as you normalize the representation as you go along, then it becomes a fact of life. And, and people hopefully 
learn to deal with it. It could terribly go the other direction as it has in history, but hopefully it won't. Yeah, we're here. We're not going anywhere. That first interracial kiss was Star Trek, right? Yep. Yep. That was Kirk and Uhura. It's kind of funny you brought that up because I had a Star Trek thought pop into my head as I was watching this movie. And specifically, it was Picard and the idea that you can do everything right and still fail. Gwen going through here, when you've got a villain like the lizard, villains are big and strong and tough and you know they can take whatever the heroes are throwing out at them and they don't ever die because they need to be able to come back later for another story arc to make more money. So Gwen pulling all pulling the wall on top of the lizard like that. I mean that's clearly the right move. He's attacking people at a prom. It's like nobody's going to question that. Nobody can point to that and say you made a mistake by doing that. And yet that is what kills her universe is Peter. And Miles going and saving the guy in Moonbatten. Like nobody can point to that except for Miguel because he's got his overarching universe mindset. But nobody else can look at that and say, really, hey, that's the wrong move. You shouldn't do that. And yet everything messes up. And a lot of that idea is why I love Gwen as a character, because I can't really look at anything that she has done and say that is that was the wrong move to make. That was the wrong decision. Maybe there's a few things here and there where it was, hey, if you had known this thing that you learned later, you might have made a different decision and a better decision. But at the very worst, you're looking at with all of the information that you had at the time, this was clearly the best decision to make. And, you know, it it brings up just that whole idea of having to get the redemption for everything that you have done, all of the things that you can't atone for. And yet you're still trying to atone for it because it's comics. Even if they end up bringing this Peter back, she still killed him. Even if you can go back and undo all of the damage that heroes always do when they're saving people, you still cause that damage. You still caused people to have to deal with that. You know, she still hurt her dad by hiding the fact that she was Spider Gwen that whole time. And I mean, you saw how her dad was ready to shoot her before she took the mask off. You can't say that hiding that from her own father was the wrong move. No, she'd be dead unless her spider sense was able to uh, get around the bullet or whatever. But I don't think that would be the case. So, yeah, it's probably the right thing to do to uh, let her dad know what's going on. And there's still all that damage. Incredible. They still talk in the MCU about the Hulk wrecking Harlem, for instance, right? Yeah. So it doesn't go away. It's part of the damage is there. The destruction is there, but then the rebuilding is there as well. And it's true in real life. Like a natural disaster comes in. It's wrecked. It's ruined. You have flooding, you have tornadoes, 
you have earthquakes, you have volcanoes with tidal waves. That damage is there. You're not going to go back. It changes societies. Some people have to move away if they're lucky enough to survive the whole thing. So it is a part of life. And it's nice to know that in superheroes, they don't, within the MCU itself, even though this is not technically an MCU film, they're not resetting. It's like, okay, this actually happened. It does have tie-ins to the MCU. It does. Or at least they try to make tie-ins, but there was no deliberate planning. Like I put a new story in the show notes about the fact that they made the cheeky MCU joke about the guy in the chair, right? And that wasn't coordinated with Marvel. Marvel's given them a wide swath and they said, nah, we're just going to let the lawyers and the legal people deal with it afterwards. Like you could hold up a whole film for that. You, I mean, that's, that's not the attitude to have, but they put it in and I think it was innocuous enough that, okay, they didn't push the Dr. button. Dr. Strange too hard. and that nerd. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so, yeah, as we go forward, the whole everybody has that pivotal canon moment of somebody dying, though, whether it's Uncle Ben or, or whoever. That was, hmm, I think we're going to get more into that in the second movie of whether they decide of what is canon and what is not canon. And everybody's going to come out happy at the end, whatever that is. But there's there's still going to be results from it. So, yeah. Yeah, like Spock going into the J.J. Abrams universe. That's the, since you brought up Star Trek, that's what I'm thinking of in terms of canon and rebuilding canon and stuff like that. But the other thing in here, Lauren, you put in your show notes, is talking about talking to the parents. It seems to be a big deal, is, is telling the parents like that, that one thing that makes that changes it, everything right so i i hadn't thought of this i saw somebody mention it online and then me and scott and my best friend got in a discussion about it gwen tells george stacy at the beginning of the movie that's kind of what sets off a lot of this and that causes him to quit the force because not only is it yeah it's it's sort of like a what's the word um conflict of interest but also just personally it's i thought i was doing this thing but now because i was ready to shoot my daughter in the face i have to question everything about everything that i thought i knew so we keep having miles wanting to basically come out to his parents and being scared because he saw how how things went for Gwen but his parents love him very deeply and Gwen's dad loves her very deeply when she shows back up again you know things might not be completely healed but they're heading that way my only thing is that it's the MCU thing Aunt May knows and she still died so yeah, she was the Uncle Ben of the MCU, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess you could argue that Tony Stark was the authority figure analog. I don't know. Peter globbed on him at the end. Yeah. And, and I say at the end, it's like from Civil War on, basically. Right. Yeah. Right. 
So again, it's it's not a perfect one-to-one thing, but I will be very interested if that ends up being a part of it in the third movie. And I think the third movie is set in 2025, but I'm not completely sure. And of course, that's all up in the air right now if the writer strike continues to go on. I mean, some projects will stay on target, but some projects will absolutely get pushed. So really the just- fact that the that SAG and that SAG seems to be joining them and that the Directors Guild, I think, sees which way the wind is blowing and is going to reject the current deal that they were offered and stand with the others. If all three of those, and I think the directors is going to be the big one. I was talking about this with Scott. The writers are basically kind of a a non-entity, I feel like, in terms of standing in Hollywood. The actors, there's a lot of them, so they're going to have, and they're the most visible, so they're going to have the most public stuff but the directors i feel like are the closest to being the studio so if the directors throw their weight behind this i think negotiations might happen sooner rather than later because everything would be at a standstill we're just going to wait and see. We're writing this one out for now. We do have some content coming out currently. We're going to be talking about Secret Invasion in a couple of weeks. I saw a bunch of trailers at both the movies that we saw the last couple of films that we reviewed across the Spider-Verse, this podcast here in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Some of them that I saw was Elemental, Blue Beetle, Teenage Kraken, The Flash, and Gran Turismo. That was all from across the Spider-Verse. Not entirely, none of those are really drawing me into the theater. Gran Turismo seems neat, but I'm like, eh, I can watch that at home later. The Flash, I am not seeing that on principle. I know a lot of people are being wooed by some of the cameo appearances that are being in there, so I won't blame them if they go, but I am not seeing that on principle of how they're treating the Ezra Miller situation and how they're just washing over that. And no, that is a, a big situation that needs to be addressed and they really haven't addressed it. So I have issues with that in the guardians of the galaxy. I saw a prequel to hunger games and that's another one that I'm like, ah, if you're into the hunger games, I can see you wanting to go into that. I am, I'm not, so I'm not going to see that just because I'm not interested in it. What was shocking to me was when I was actually watching Oppenheimer, the trailer to Oppenheimer, I'm like, huh, this is interesting to talk about the justifications of uh, developing a nuclear weapon and how they went about doing it in the 40s. So I might see that for that. Of course, Dune is probably the big one. Dune is one of the three big ones that I saw. Dune, are you guys going to see Dune in the theater? It's going to be in oh, yeah. December. Yeah. Oh, yes. I haven't decided yet. Probably. And then the new Indiana Jones film, I might see that with my dad because I'll be home about the time that it comes out. But I don't know. I might wait on that because we already have tickets. We're going to see it. It comes out on my best friend's birthday. Okay. So yeah, have fun. I'm yeah, I'm if it were up to me, I'm not sure if I would see it in theaters. Like I'm going to watch it regardless. But right. The fact that it, it's James Mangold directing does have me a little more positively inclined toward it. 
Maybe I'll wait until I start hearing some initial reviews out of it and then, then go see it. Indie. <laughs> Old Man Indy. I'm just Indy. really interested in seeing what they do after Crystal Skull. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to just... Shia LaBeouf died on the way back to his home planet. <laughs> Karen Allen can stay, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the Marvels, that's uh, definitely, we're definitely going to see that for this, but yes. I'm interested in to seeing that. Uh, the trailers that have been coming out have been fun, at least, so we'll see. And that is going to be after Secret Invasion, which Fury, I think Fury's in both, so yes, he is in both. So we'll see what the timeline for Nick Fury is as you go forward. I don't know if the Marvels is going to be impacted by the strikes or not because they might need to do some ADR last minute that they're not able to accomplish. And if they're not, my fear is that it's not going to be as good of a final product. You know, they don't make those subtle last minute changes that might actually make it good versus me. So that's what we're all dealing with. And even another podcast on the network right now, they're actually uh, smoking and drinking in capes slash smoking and drinking in space. They're simulcasting on both their feeds is that they are covering heroes, which was also impacted <laughs> by the writer's strike. Oh God. Season one, which they've released two episodes so far. Season one was good. It was mm-hmm. past season one was amazing. I loved it so much. And then the writer's strike happened. And I think all of us who were TV fans in that era are a bit traumatized. You know, whether you liked heroes or lost or like me, we're one of the like seven fans of journeyman. <laughs> pushing daisies oh so i was burned by heroes for two ways first of all it was it was the first huge domino to fall for nbc for me you know nbc historically has actually been very forethoughtful in bringing forth genre shows like science fiction genre shows fantasy genre shows whatever so i applaud them for that but they came in and trashed them (laughs) basically or cancel them early or whatever. So I have a thing against NBC Universal, which is also the parent company to sci-fi. So I refuse to watch anything on them because I know they're just going to do something bad with the series as it goes on. And my other rule, which you, I think you guys have heard before, of me only seeing shows that have a linear TV shows that have a successful three seasons before I start watching it. Heroes was one of the big things because I did watch Heroes into the ground in all five seasons. I watched it and I am traumatized that I did. I watched, I kept saying, I feel like I'm being held hostage by this show because Heroes was the show where I realized, oh, if I don't like it, I can stop watching it. Mm-hmm. I watched all the way to just about shy of the end. That last season, I wouldn't have watched except it had Ray Park and I had a huge crush on him at the time. But even that wasn't enough to save the show for me. It was just, it was a race to the bottom. As we come out of these strikes, it will be interesting to see what streaming services do. Because it's a streaming service. They don't, they're not beholden to have to release stuff. But at the same time, if they don't release stuff, then people could cancel their subscriptions and they lose significant amounts of money. So it'll be interesting to see what all of them do in terms of releasing content that might be better with writers around with actors around with directors around or if they just need to release the content and then know that they're killing it because it's not as good 
No idea what they're going to decide yet. No idea when this is going to end. But it'll be interesting watching that. And then where do you put your two cents as a viewer of, you know, what do I invest my time in, my money in, in case of streaming? Because you have to pay for it. Most, <laughs> most of the cases, you should be paying for it. So, yeah. All right. In two weeks, we'll be covering Secret Invasion. Do you guys have any last thoughts about Across the Spider-Verse? I obviously have no insider knowledge of where they're going with this, but I did just order the spider get an omnibus because I think that's going to be a good move. Of course. And how many Spider-Gwens did you order since you saw the movie? Okay. So from the time we recorded last until this morning, it is nine new Gwens that are here and a tenth that is set to be delivered this afternoon. So ten. Okay. I keep getting hung up on just how beautiful and well-written this movie was. And I want to rewatch it like a billion times and find all the little nuances that I didn't pick up on or just appreciate them again. I'm so thankful we have these movies. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the final movie. If they do any course corrections with the final movie. And I say final movie, at least final in the trilogy. I have no idea if they're going to extend it beyond the three that they have right now. If I'm Sony and if they make money, I'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. But I'm curious if it's set in stone right now or if they're going to take minor corrections or even major corrections as they do the third one. We'll see. I have no idea what they have in store, just like Chris, but we'll see what they give us in, I believe, 2025. I'll have to take a look at that. Okay, guys, you guys ready to talk about some Marvel Studios news? Yes. Let's do it. All right. So first off, we have a little bit of a preview. So yesterday, Marvel put out the first five minutes of Secret Invasion. Now, what you have to do to get there is you go to a website called The Invasion Has Begun, you enter the password, which is a series of letters and numbers that I won't be reading out here, but you can find it if you're curious, and that'll let you watch it. Or you can do what I did and accidentally stumble across a, an account called Content for All on Twitter who ripped it and put it up so that you don't have to enter any passwords. Although, come on, that really does add to the whole spycraft feeling of it. Have either of you watched it yet? Watch it not. within minutes of actually seeing the notification. And thanks very much to Chris over on the Gonna Geek show and the All Things Good and Nerdy show because he posted it in our Discord. So within minutes of it coming out. So I saw it within five minutes of it actually being posted. And yes, I did use the code because I thought, ooh, cool, Spycraft. Yeah. So the first five minutes. I don't think it's a spoiler. It's just basically letting Martin Freeman's character know what we, the audience, know the series is going to be about. There are scrolls that have decided to be antagonists on Earth, and because they can shapeshift, you don't know who anyone is. And then we get a little, so we get some dialogue there, and then we get a little clip at the end of just preview scenes from the show. I'm very curious how they're going to do this because, you know, now that we've had 
the scrolls as allies, whereas in the comics, they've always been antagonists. Of course, in Secret Invasion in the comics, it was religious extremists. Here, I don't think it's going to be religious extremists. I'm curious what the motivation is going to be. I'm going to take a little instantaneous poll right here. Who thinks that Agent Ross was a scroll in that clip? Probably. I haven't seen it, so I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote yes, just because I want it to be true. Yeah, in the and I don't know. It could have been cut very well where they there was something else going on in the background, but the way they depicted it, Agent Ross in that scene was a scroll. Yeah, the way that it was, it could be very, it could very well be read as, okay, this is somebody undercover who's getting information about what the other side knows. Yeah, it's, it's spy versus spy. This is going to be that secret evasion. That's what it's all about. So I don't even know if we're only going to have one Nick Fury. They could have multiple Nick Furies too. No idea. The return of Hasselhoff Nick Fury. <laughs> oh God. We'll see. We'll see indeed. Chris, we did get some sad news this past week. We we really did. Eric Goldman said on Twitter, which this is just the source that we had for it, that Runaways has been pulled off of Disney Plus and Hulu. Why this is important is because it's a Marvel show. It's an MCU show that while it doesn't have huge ties to the rest of the MCU, it is a show that it's just a lot harder to watch now. You'd have to have somebody who is willing to purchase it now or has already gotten it through one way or another or possibly uses one way or another to get it now if they have friends who own it. (laughs) Yeah, the only way to legally watch it right now is to buy it, which is significant because some of the other shows that Disney Plus removed are not available for purchase. Yeah, cough, cough, Willow. I'm very angry about this. And like the first reply up to this tweet is, normally I'm not going to go and read a bunch of replies to tweets and stuff, but the first one in here I think is really important. Any danger of them removing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because that will leave a lot of fans spitting blood. That is, what, like seven seasons of good TV for various definitions of good for some people, but yeah. Yeah, you have two factors at work from their decision point. And I always try to put my mind in the, the, in the decision of the corporation, of the company that's making the decision, because ultimately it's a monetary decision. So first of all, there is the monetary rights. Like how much are the actors, the creators, the crew getting as residuals for that to still be up on a streaming service and are they willing to pay it so that's that's the first question the second question is a content canon question of whether canon kevin feige actually still wants it as part of the mcu or not big debate there we've actually gone through this several times in the past from people with the mcu wiki and you know, fans and even internally here is agents of shield considered canon to the MCU or not? I don't know. And that's what I keep on saying, but from what they're moving with the moves that they're making tells me, no, it's not. 
And one of the things is a new story that I want to talk about was that Quake, Chloe Bennett, has said that she has not been contacted about revising her role in the MCU. That was another news story that came out. So you, you factor the two together. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has not been removed yet from Disney+, Plus, but it could be. So speaking to your first point about the studios being like, well, is this worth it? There was an article that I saw yesterday about somebody did this deep dive on how the Netflix algorithm actively discourages people from rewatching things. And given a lot of the things that we now know about residuals and streaming rights and things like that, what it probably is, is that they don't want to have to pay those residuals. So again, that's one of the things that's being addressed by the current strike because streaming is here to stay. Streaming is how things are done now. And because it's not a one and done, oh, I bought this DVD, therefore everybody gets paid one time. Studios are going to have to loosen their purse strings. Like, and again, when the people at the top are making however many hundred or thousand times more than the people below them, the answer there is pretty easy to me. It's like, what would you say it is you do here? And then, you know, stop hoarding all of that like a freaking dragon. But until we get more securities in place for creatives, things like this are going to keep happening. I honestly don't know enough about the corporate structure in entertainment to make blind recommendations. And blind to me, meaning I don't know what the payment is or the compensation is for different levels. Sense. It is sense. Right. I just don't know enough to comment on the, um, the levels of compensation that people get for where they are. However, it does have the appearance that there is a large impropriety. And because of that, it's going to have to equal out eventually. But Hollywood has a long, long, long history of taking advantage of people. And, and hopefully these unitized, unitized? No. Um, unionized. Union, unionized. Unionized. Not unitized. Unionized efforts will get them better off. And, and the one thing that I have not heard, you brought up a good point. The one thing I have not heard in this, I've heard compensation for residuals. I have not heard anything about highlighting in algorithms, which I don't even know if they can broach that. If they can, great. It, but that's going to be a, hey, we'll give you residuals, but we're going to make sure that nobody watches this sort of thing, mm -hmm. right? So they still hold that gatekeeping card Wow. All right. Yeah. A couple other news stories that came around to our notice is that Amy Pascal, who's the Kevin Feige version over in Sony, she said that she had some Spider-Verse announcements. There's live action series, I believe, for Miles, Miles Morales for Spider-Woman. I don't know which Spider-Woman, but Spider-Woman. And then Spider-Man 4 has been in talk. And then Tom Holland confirmed that he had been talking about it. So... I didn't hear a confirmation of Spider-Man 4 from Tom Holland, but he said he had had a lot of conversation about it. 
I don't know what the writer strikes are going to do to all those projects. I'm guessing some of these projects that don't make it out of the infancy are just, uh, we've seen it with both star Wars and with Marvel that they've canceled projects. So I can see the same thing over on Sony too. I'm going to assume that spider woman here is Jessica drew. They're doing a really good job of any Gwen stuff new Gwen stuff being labeled as ghost spider ever since you had that character renaming in marvel rising they've really tried to be super consistent with at least having the ghost spider name like ghost spider call one something in this film we didn't talk about it before but in this film gwen is called spider woman she is the spider woman of her universe that's what she said it was not ghost spider so maybe in the third one they rename it and that would also be comics accurate there too, because she was Spider Woman until she came over to Six One Six and learned about Jessica Drew. And yeah, I'm not gonna do that because that'll be confusing. Yeah. The other thing is that a uh, series that we just finished covering, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, they cast Edward James Olmos as one of the season two villains, which is going to be good. Molecule, Molecule Man, which is going to be awesome hearing him. I can't hear it without thinking of this old Conan O'Brien sketch. It, it was on when Conan O'Brien hosted SNL in like the late 90s, early 2000s. He was the molecular man. <laughs> so every time I hear it, I just hear it in that tone of voice. And for those that don't know, Edward James almost just came out of treatment for throat cancer, which he said really impacted his ability to work and to go to con. I saw him a few years ago at C2E2. It was clear that he was having some difficulty speaking, but he's always had kind of that difficulty speaking. I can only imagine what throat cancer did to his vocal cords, just the treatment alone. Yeah, go back to even, you know, in the in the early 80s at the beginning of his career, and he still sounds like, I mean, me right now, very <laughs> the very low gravelly. Right. So... That's the news that I was able to dig up for the past couple of weeks since we recorded last time. We look forward in a couple of weeks to covering some more. Chris, what do you think we should do here? I think we, we really need to go see what's going on on Earth 42. I mean, if I was a spider person on Earth 42, I'd be holding signs and handouts for, have you seen the spider? Have you seen the spider? Have you seen the spider? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this and all the, our other sister podcasts over on the Gunna Geek Network. You have Smoking and Drinking in Capes and Smoking and Drinking in Space. They're doing the Heroes rewatches we were talking about earlier. You've got Anthony and Doc Issues over on Capes on the Couch. And then... Yeah. Oh gosh, what was it? It's it's this other it's the other show. I think it had something to do with comics on one hand and video games like mashing together like a peanut butter cup sort of thing. Oh gosh, that sounds good. Um comics players uh, play, comics. play comics. Play comics. Uh, <laughs> that's it. So yes, lots of comic book styled podcasts over there as well as some other geeky related stuff so go on and check it out over the guineageek.com network i would like to thank everybody who has come along with us let us know what you thought about the spider-verse movies and a little bit of self-promotion first of all my latest audiobook is out if you are interested in 
sapphic polycules, murder mysteries, disabled lead characters. Look up Psychic City. It is currently on Audible. And later this weekend, actually later today, I am going to be in the first of two streaming games I'm in to raise money for the Transgender Law Center. Over on the Nerds with Dice Twitch channel, I will be in today a Star Trek Adventures game at at, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. And tomorrow, Sunday, June 11th, I will be in a game of Lighthearted at 3 p.m. Eastern. And I, even if you are listening to this way after that's actually been broadcast, the video is going to be up at some point and donate to the Transgender Law Center. It's for a very good cause. And uh, I am going to have fun playing and I hope people have fun watching and I hope that we raise a good amount of money. Yes, everybody. I, I just love that we're able to come in here and talk about all this stuff and what it all means to us and everything. And if you want to hear more of that kind of thing from me, you can head over to Play Comics at playcomics.com. Lots of new episodes need to be coming out. And if it wasn't for thunderstorms, like basically every night since last Friday, as in over a week ago as we record this, there would be a new episode out, but I don't feel like frying my computer. I agree. I have been shutting down my computer every time I'm not using it anymore, which I used to, if I had an active project up, I used to leave it up just so I could go and, and do the project. Not anymore. Shut it down. Just not playing that game anymore. I understand completely. So please, if you have something to say about Across the Spider-Verse or Secret Invasion by the time this comes out, go ahead and get a hold of us at our voicemail line, 844-THE-BUS-1, 844-843-2871, or come to our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord, and we can have all of the conversations about all things Marvel, because we like talking about Marvel. Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Chris. Bye. Bye. Love Miles, but love Gwen more. Show us some of the new Gwens. Come on. I don't know if I have enough time. Okay, so there's this one. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of Shield, or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. So like I was saying before, the green screen is being weird and I'm not going to be able to show Gwen's. But if you head on over to the Gunna Geek Discord, I will make, I don't know if it'll be a thread yet, but I will have a picture of all the new Gwen's. And maybe all the old ones, too. Why not? Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2023.